All right. Welcome back to Talking Risk. It's a podcast about taking risks. Every week, we have an entrepreneur on to discuss his or her challenges, his or her beginnings, strategies, losses, uh, victories, and essentially how they've achieved their legacy and what their vision is for their legacy. And we hope that by doing this, number one, we'll extend our education and your education into entrepreneurialism, but also we hope to motivate you to achieve your legacies. My name's Eric Reese. I'm the co-host of Talking Risk. I'm also a lawyer. I own a law firm called Aspen Legal, and you can find that at aspenlawteam.com. Uh, Ricky Hall is my co-host. Ricky? I am Ricky Hall, um, founder of Nutrition HQ and Nutrition HQ Franchising. All right. Where do you find that, Ricky, since this is shameless advertising? NHQ.rocks. NHQ.rocks. All right. So uh, we're coming to you from the beautiful Aspen Legal Studios in the business district on Locust in St. Louis, Missouri. Our guest, Eric Wolf, is coming to you from sunny Florida. His origins are at Eau Claire, Wisconsin, but Florida and his house in Florida have one thing that Eau Claire don't, doesn't have, and that's an ocean, basically. Sunshine. Uh, and uh, so, Eric, introduce yourself, if you will. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on the podcast. Excited about it. Uh, Eric Wolf. Uh, president and CEO of ENG Franchise Systems that owns the brand of Herbert and Gerbert um, out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. So we're going to talk uh, with Eric, obviously, at length about the challenges that uh, the restaurant industry has in general because of COVID and specifically the government shutdowns. I'm sure all of you have read that Michigan is planning to shut down again, no surprise, democratically controlled state. This doesn't surprise any of us, uh, but uh, they plan to go back to shutdown mode uh, within the next week. Uh, but uh, we're going to start with the thing that we call hot topics. Hot topics. It's my wife. Uh, very proud of her <laughs> for recording that. But we're going to start about hot with hot topics. Hot topics are... Uh, what Ricky and I have experienced over the last week since our last podcast, things that we've read and things that we've chatted about, and uh, we're going to start with uh, really what the hottest topic is as far as I'm concerned, and that's the vote against unionization down in Alabama in the Amazon uh, warehouse and service center, and the vote wasn't even close. It was... 2.5 uh, against and 1.4. In other words, the votes against exceeded the votes for by 2.5. And what strikes me, there's a number of things that strike me. First of all, uh, Jeff Bezos, and again, uh, I mean, an amazing business person, and I'm not trying to take anything away from him. He doesn't agree with us politically, of course, not that he cares. Big Democrat owns the Washington Post, and he called uh, the allegations by the Trump administration of election fraud because of all of the problems with mail-in ballots, called them ludicrous, baseless, etc. But if you follow the story of the attempted unionization 
of Amazon down in Alabama, what did Jeff Bezos want? He wanted no mail-in ballots, all right? All of a sudden, it switches, right? And he says that mail-in ballots uh, are subject to fraud. Mail-in ballots are subject to all sorts of bad things that wouldn't reflect an accurate vote of his workforce down there. And, uh, and in addition to that, now we have the vote. It's two and a half uh, against unionization uh, for every one vote for unionization. But over the last week, we've heard that Amazon requires their employees to pee in a bottle. I don't know if you've read that, but that's out there. Amazon requires their employees to defecate in paper bags, right? And I'm not sure where the media is getting off on this stuff because we don't vote on the unionization of Amazon, right? But they're trying to turn the public against Amazon. And really the issue that I find fascinating is the complete lack of intellectual honesty by everyone. Jeff Bezos, who was claiming that Trump's claims against uh, mail-in ballots were ludicrous, but he takes the position that mail-in ballots are no good. Uh, the media's claims that Amazon's a bad company uh, because now they are requiring their employees to take dumps in bags. I mean, it's just absolutely ludicrous. It shows the worst part, in my opinion, of America. But uh, now we have the union that's saying they're going to challenge the election uh, the NLRB, national, uh, uh, the organization that really uh, supports and, and really forms these unions, they're going to look into it. Uh, but, you know, they're making baseless claims as far as Amazon's undue influence on its employees. And they're actually alleging New York Times is alleging racism somehow of course. Uh, against a- Amazon with respect to this vote. And, of course, we know how this is going to come out. These are the employees. My brother-in-law works for Amazon. My brother-in-law is not an executive at Amazon. He works at a warehouse for Amazon. And he always sings the praises of Amazon because of the benefits that he receives the health insurance, the 401k, et cetera, are amazing, according to him. And he's paid 15 bucks an hour, but the benefits that he receives are worth much, much more. So it's going to be interesting how this plays out for sure. But, you know, that's the thing, Ricky, that strikes me is the complete lack of intellectual honesty to say one thing when it supports your cause and to say something completely different uh, when the facts and circumstances uh, change. And and maybe that's human nature. And if it is human nature, we're all doomed, by the way. But in business and negotiations, be freaking honest. Be intellectually honest. Well, be consistent. And and that's the thing, too, that, that I, I laugh at this union stuff because there are so many labor laws now that there's no reason we even have a freaking union and it exhausts me to hear the union arguments. Like, I remember building stores where the electrician couldn't move a shelf because the electrician was the in the union for the electrician, but they needed the laborer to move the shelf. Yeah, get the f out of here. Yeah, move the shelf, put the outlet in, and be done with it. And it's it's sad. It really is. And and then like you you were saying, like here now Bezos anti Trump. 
because of mail-in. And now, for his favor, it, it well, you know, we can't, we can't have it that way. Sure. It's just a, it doesn't work for me. But it's okay over here, but it's not okay over here. And that, I hate that inconsistency. Yeah, we're, we're in a society now that um, we can't have an intellectual, honest discussion about any social issue because uh, the folks that have a differing opinion than uh, the opinion that's PC the opinion of the media, the opinion of the powers that be, they're silenced because they're afraid of cancellation. And if you cannot have an intellectually honest discussion about a problem, about an issue, about a negotiation, then it's not going to be resolved. It's that simple because either people are being silenced or, uh, quite frankly, people are just taking a position which is dishonest and your result is never going to be even close to perfect. So that that's uh, one of the hot topics. The other hot topic that I have is uh, is really COVID and how it's impacted the restaurant industry, which is going to take us in our discussion with uh, with Eric Wolf and uh, Herbert and Gerbert. So last night, Jill and I went out to a restaurant and it was packed. I mean, it was elbows and armpits Nobody had masks on, and so I was enjoying myself quite a bit, right? Johnny Black might have been involved, uh, spending money like crazy, as, as was everyone else. And, man, it, it made me happy just to see people out there not operating under the, quote, new normal, end quote, which is total BS, but operating normally like, like we're used like to. Like we're supposed to. Yeah, absolutely. So... And I'm thinking about, you know, all the workers were happy because, you know, they know business is backed. Uh, I met uh, with the owner for about five minutes. He was hustling. He's excited that all the people are back. And, uh, you know, they dodged a bullet. But I know a lot of restaurants uh, and other businesses did not. And that's really unfortunate. And we've talked about this in the past, how COVID and the governmental shutdowns have changed things positively, but the restaurant industry in particular has been heavily hit. Yeah, and, you know, we were talking earlier this morning, and I'll go back to the military type thing. It's like, don't send me to war with a gun and no bullets. Same thing with business. If I'm following the rules with license and health inspections, get the hell out of my way. Let yeah. me put money in the bank, pay my taxes to stay the hell out of the way because you don't know business. You're in a governmental position. You've never, ever sweat and had sleepless nights trying to figure out how you're going to make payroll, right. how you're going to pay your sales tax. That's what's frustrating. And then you tell me I can't open. And then I here, I'll give you a great example. Bush Stadium open for opening day. If anybody knows anything about St. Louis Cardinals baseball is, it is a holiday when we have opening day in St. Louis. I don't know the guy or the people or whoever it was that decided that Bush Stadium can open with 32%. Right. Where did 32 come from? Science, brother. Science, man. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Well, Fauci. I don't give a shit about right. science. Right. 32%. Because yep. if you go to 33, COVID's going to spread. Exactly. So and that's that's what's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So um, well, just get the hell out of the way. Let the entrepreneurs, let the capitalists run the country. Right. Yeah. And, and really the unfortunate thing is, um, you know, a 2% fatality rate for COVID. And that's probably strongly elevated no matter what you're reading in the media. 
but what we've done is we've damaged, um, in many cases, irreparably, we've damaged so many lives, so many people that are dependent upon, well, let's talk about the hospitality industry and let's talk about uh, the restaurant industry. In San Francisco, I just read a report that 63% of the hospitality business has been permanently destroyed, shut down, ain't coming back, all right? That is huge, right? That is huge. That's huge economic losses. And think about all the hundreds of thousands of lives that we've destroyed. And you can sit back and you can say, oh, well, you know, they'll find another job. Give me a break. You don't know what you're talking about. We're in this together. We're not in it together. Until you're paying my mortgage, we're not in it together. And so I you know, feel for the restaurant tours that are out there that are making a comeback. But, you know, one thing that I've seen personally from last night is people are coming back. They want to be normal. So, Eric, tell us about that. Tell us about how people are coming back to Herbert and Gerbert and other restaurants. Yeah, it's it's interesting just listening to you guys about uh, the restaurant and hospitality. My wife and I, um, we just bought this place down in uh, Venice Beach, and um, we drove, actually. So we were on the road uh, two days and one night, and we went through all these different states. So from Wisconsin to Illinois, you know, going through Kentucky, Tennessee, and then going into, obviously, Florida. And it was interesting when we would stop and have a bite to eat, and every state was totally different. You could virtually tell the states that were very locked down versus not locked down, the attitude of the politicians and and the workers. And it was just really, really interesting. And obviously, down in Florida, uh, we went out to dinner last night, and it was wide open. People are, um, I I would say, more healthier uh, from the standpoint. They're out and about. They're and they're, they're, it's just a livelier uh, um, people that are just enjoying life in general. So I, I know that, obviously, we have to follow, um, you know, the rules and regulations and all that, but it was very interesting to see the different approaches in every state that we traveled through. So it is uh, quite interesting. Um, you know, with us, with uh, COVID, you know, Herbert and Gerberts, we've been around since 1988, we have close to around 100 uh, locations around the country. Some are in the university setting, uh, corporate settings like General Mills World Headquarters. And then we have traditional stores that are on, you know, street corners with drive throughs And, you know, for us, uh, how this has impacted us is because, you know, one-third of our business was in the university. We call them non-traditional units, which are all shut down sure. um, and virtually trying to figure out how to do it. I was talking to one of our bigger partners and they're saying, Eric, you don't realize we're thinking about going uh, live in the fall uh, and opening up all these different universities. Well, they have to open up 3,000 stores by the end of the summer. Now, keep in mind, a lot of those managers and employees are gone now. So they are just unbelievable burden on trying to find people to even do that. So. It's just kind of interesting to see what is going on with COVID. Uh, with Herbert and Gerberts, we have our own self-delivery. We have pickup, catering, and, you know, delivery uh, curbside. So we did see an impact. There's no doubt about it, especially in May and June. We lost around 50% of our business, right? I mean, just overnight from that standpoint. 
but thank God that uh, we came back and actually we're stronger today than ever. We're hitting 2019 levels right now with less restaurants. So we are seeing a huge pivot in our business, especially in our QSR segment of, you know, sandwiches and soups. That's what our main uh, product line is. And um, we're seeing it coming back strong because people do want to come in. They want to you know, they're tired of, you know, the curbside or the pickup. They want to come in and talk to their old uh, friends that were making their sandwiches and soups and all that stuff. So we're starting to see that happen. So what's interesting, uh, let's let's talk about the colleges first. And a yeah. lot of people probably don't know this, but when you go to a college and you go to a food court at a college, um, these are generally run by huge companies. Eric, isn't that right? Yeah, multi-billion dollar companies, yep. Yeah, and so when Eric says they got to open up thousands of locations, that's what they're talking about. It's not just Herbert and Gerbert. It's, uh, you know, 100 or 200 or 300 other brands that they've got to open yep. up. they got to open up food courts. And, and one thing that strikes me about that is uh, because we're trying to hire for Aspen Legal, man, it's, it's a hard market to find people. I don't know... I, you know, I want to say to find people willing to work. I don't know if people are unwilling to work, but it, it's a weird deal right now trying to find people that that can fill the roles. Yeah, it's interesting, Eric, that uh, I was just talking to one of our um, prospects uh, that um, she's in Indianapolis. I had lunch with her and she runs a lot of uh, airports and colleges and headquarters. And what's interesting is she's trying to hire people and she cannot find people. The reason why is because, sad to say, you know, the government has given some funds out there and they're basically saying uh, some of these people can make more money uh, on unemployment and obviously the bonus checks that are coming through than virtually going back to work. Now, hopefully that will stop and they'll continue to maybe move into the workforce, but uh, it is a difficult situation. There's no doubt about it of just finding people to show up. I mean, we'll have 30 interviews for, you know, 11, $12 an hour, you know, just making sandwiches and pouring soup. Sure. And virtually half of those people won't even show up for the interview where they have committed to show up to the interview. Well, our government's made them so comfortable, like you said, to, to draw a check, sit on the couch and binge watch Netflix versus go to yep. a freaking interview. Yeah, so my eldest daughter uh, lives out in California, and college degree, she's in the hospitality business. Uh, Everything's been shut down in California. Obviously, they're they're just now coming back with indoor dining, et cetera. Uh, But, um, and again, love her dearly, and, and I think what she's doing is great. She wants to be in California, et cetera, but... The fact of the matter is when she was uh, laid off, shut down, whatever it is, when a government shuts your whole industry down, she had more in her checking account than I did. (laughs) And uh, that was not the stimulus checks, but all of the extra benefits that she was receiving as a laid off employee due to COVID out in California. And again, you know... I'm still scratching my head wondering why we don't have double-digit inflation, why we've not tanked the economy because of the money that we're printing like drunken meth-head sailors, because that's what we're doing. Uh, And and all I can come up with is, 
It's the global connectiveness of the economy that if we tank, China tanks, if China tanks, everybody tanks. And, and that's all I can come up with because this, this doesn't fit any proper economic analysis of all the money that we're printing. And again, you know, my clients, uh, clients like ENG, uh, clients like franchise chains that I represent all over the country, they got their PPP loans. And of course they did. If the money's available, take it. All right. You'd be a you'd be a dunce if you didn't take the money. But again, there has to be a cost. There has to be a price that we pay for all this money that we're printing. There's always a price you'll pay, and I think it's a couple of things we've touched on on the last two episodes about the government got involved with um, giving students money for all these uh, for for um, education. There, there's going to be a price to pay. Sure. And it's going to be higher taxes. And yeah. they're going to go after the people providing the jobs is what's sad. Yeah. Yeah, it really is sad because uh, I think the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry, provides an enormous amount of our jobs in the United States. And you're attacking the wrong people, folks, if, if you're going after them. So, Eric, tell me about, um, you know, I, I often take a look at restaurants without say, a drive-up window, for example. And if you're negotiating a lease uh, and you want an in-cap unit, uh, meaning a unit that you can actually drive around so you can have a drive-up window, it costs you extra uh, and it's a more difficult negotiation. But the fact of the matter is is that many restaurants did not have a drive-up window. And so they had to come up with a completely different plan of curbside delivery, et cetera. And um, it was so unfortunate because so many restaurants that provided great products um, all of a sudden found themselves in a position that they could never imagine. And that's, you know, the government shutdown. So tell us about not only how the restaurant industry responds to the government shutdowns in the post-COVID economy, but, you know, cover things like Uber Eats, the rise of all of these services now that are providing delivery because people are working from home. I mean, that's a major shift in thinking for a lot of restaurants. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, Eric. I mean, from a standpoint of a lot of restaurants had to pivot, and I mean pivot very hard and had to have some serious conversations with uh, their business model in general. Um, you know, keep in mind, and it's so sad, but I was just reading an uh, article. They believe that there's going to be 110,000 restaurants that will be permanently closed in the Holy United Lord. States because of this. Time's and I think, what? actually, that's a, that's a low number because oh, we're just yeah. starting to see some out fall on some different things as well. Um, you know, again, with us, Urban and Gerberts, we're in the QSR, so we, we're not a sit-down type of fine dining and all that kind of stuff. So sad to say that 110,000 uh, restaurants, sad is that it was probably a lot of independents that just didn't have the resources to pivot. And so um, sad to say that they had to probably shut down their uh, stores. I mean, I, my wife and I were just in downtown Minneapolis, and we love that city. It's a great city. And, uh, but the, the, the restaurants that we used to go to are all shut down. And some of the owners have said, we are not coming back. It's can't. simply, they can't, uh, they can't afford it. But also politically, they don't even deal with that anymore. I think people are just getting tired of it. 
and they're moving out into the suburbs or even crossing state lines because it's just in a better business environment. But when you look at pivoting in a lot of the restaurant industries, what they had to do, and I think this is actually going to be a positive thing in the future, they had to think differently. Sometimes, you know, uh, things happen and you get challenged and you got to look in the mirror saying, how are we going to get ourselves out of this, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I saw people with curbside. They went to their local politicians and their uh, courthouses and said, listen, we need these um, – these uh, parking lots right in front of our uh, store, we need to have these designated for our curbside. And thank God, I think some of the politicians understood it and they gave them the permits to do that. So then they made up their own curbside and, uh, you know, looking at signage and texting and trying to figure out, okay, how does this all work behind the counter in the kitchen to make sure it's done right. But uh, they, they had a pivot with that. And then with third party, the biggest thing with third party, people were using third party before, obviously, but it comes as a cost, especially for the hospitality uh, provider. Because as you guys know, you order a sandwich uh, from Herbert and Gerbert inside the restaurant versus doing a third party, they charge us commission on that. Yeah. And obviously our margins are not high uh, as some industries in the restaurant industry. And so you somehow have to figure out, okay, how am I going to absorb some of this? Maybe it's 15, 18, 20, 22% commission. There's your whole margin. It's a huge margin. Right. And so technology has helped out with this. And we're using a technology now that um, we can have three, five, ten different types of third-party delivery systems. It's injected into our POS system. And then what we can do it's pass along some of that commission that we have to pay to the customer. Now, there is a balance there. What, what is that balance that a customer is going to say, wow, you guys are really putting it to us? Or are they saying, you know what? It's a convenience. I get it. I understand it. You guys have gone through hell and now you're back. And um, that is the balancing act that we're seeing right now. And we have started to do that. And in one of our, we just started to test uh, three third-party deliveries. And we're seeing an uptick around 6 to 7% in some of our restaurants. Just because of virtually when you turn on that system, it is you're, you're online and people start to order it. And we believe that these are customers that we've never had before. Eric, I want to back up a little bit. Um, yeah. And, and can you give, for our listeners, give, give the background of, of, of your business model. Like what, what kind of customers are you servicing? What is your, what is your, your business model that um, yeah. provides food and service? Yeah, we're in the QSR segment. We have sandwiches and soups. Again, we've been around since 1988. And basically what it is is um, our average square footage is probably around twelve to 1,400 square feet. Usually it's in a lease space uh, in line, or if we have an end cap with a drive-through, we would do that as well. Uh, some of our restaurant restaurants are doing, you know, 1.6 million, you know, and our average is around 600,000 as an AUV average unit volume. That's what that means. Um, but we're really focused in on just driving very quality sandwiches that are very unique. Like, um, uh, some of our, our sandwiches have cranberry wasabi. You probably have never heard of that type of uh, sauce before. Uh, Pepidou mustard, which uh, is uh, kind of a u- unique mustard. Pe- uh, pesto mayo. I mean, all these different things that you just cannot find anywhere else. So, again, going back to COVID, people wanted that type of sandwich because they've been grown up with it on a college campus. And then they move into a suburb and they want to follow that brand and our brand. 
for those reasons because of the quality and then obviously with our soup as well. Um, so our model is a very small footprint, but we drive efficiency through our own delivery system, also third-party pickup, curbside, and then in-store as well. So you're a dest- you've, you've created a destination. Yeah, we have because I think of the quality. I mean, again, anyone can make a turkey sandwich, but it's the combinations of our flavors that, um, we again, we've been around since 88. And what's interesting, we started in college markets. So, and the reason for that is, um, you know, we have a lot, we have third day, three day parts. We have lunch, dinner, and then we have late night when the kids are coming out of the, let's just say the establishment <laughs> at around two o'clock in the morning and they're very hungry and they want to eat something healthy because I, I think the demographics are changing where people are starting to focus in on, you know, what can I eat? What should I be eating? And so we started there, but as we have the opportunity where we have a student there for four years on that college campus eating our product. So our service has to be great. Our quality has to be there. You cannot imagine how many emails I get back. I mean, I, I get people from California, Alaska saying, hey, I went to such and such university. I remember late night. You guys were awesome. You have a cool vibe about you guys and all the quality of the product. You know, when are you guys coming to Alaska? When? So our brand actually follows the customer through their life, basically, you know, when they're, they're done with college, now they're married, they have a couple of kids, now they're in the suburbs. So we can follow that customer and it's kind of a unique scenario where they can, it, it really helps us with, from a marketing standpoint because, um, you know, they, they know the brand and uh, we're quality. So there's, there's so much to talk about here. So um, let's talk about first the quality versus the, price right and ricky and i have talked about this often um in the legal field uh lawyers because um they're borderline retarded believe that you have to charge a higher price because the consumer believes that if you're charging a higher price it must be worth it okay dumb all right but most lawyers are dumb uh but um in this segment Let's call it the sandwich segment for a second. We know that the largest franchisor, and Herbert and Gerbert is a franchisor, folks. So um, if you like what you're hearing, you ought to check it out and, and look to open up one of these sandwich stores. I will tell you this, that I know the CEO personally, and... Um, and he's a good guy, right? So I can vouch for him for sure. And he believes that it's a partnership between franchisee and franchisor. But beyond the pitch, right, the largest franchisor in the world is called Subway. All right. It may be the worst sandwich that you could ever eat, right? If you go eat Mexican, you want to throw up for an hour. If you go eat Subway, you want to throw up for at least eight hours because you've just eaten a loaf of bread that actually isn't bread i think it's some sort of plastic material i don't know what the hell it is but they've grown right they have fifty thousand plus units which is amazing and kudos to them right absolutely that's, that's a very difficult thing to do but eric talk about quality versus price and talk about it um with this in mind, uh, Ricky and I talked about in our last episode that millennials now are turning 40, 
right? Which means mm-hmm. all three of us are really old, all right? But, <laughs> but millennials have, I, I think, it, if I read the media accurately, millennials have this idea of, well, I want to eat healthy, right? Although they're probably the ones that drove Subway because my kids loved Subway. And I said, well, you know, you go get your Subway sandwich and I'll go get something else. But um, talk about the difference between quality and the challenges of quality versus just, you know, cheap Subway selling whatever they sell, a 24-inch long sandwich for 25 cents, right? Which has got to be garbage, right? Yeah, and I I really can't speak on, obviously, Subway, but you have to give credit where credit is due. 50,000 units around the world is unbelievable. And I think they hit the market at the right time. You know, you talked about the millennials and growing up. I mean, I remember being um, an internship uh, in um, Milwaukee, and that was just starting to hit with uh, Subway uh, stores opening up. And, again, you really think about it, there was not a lot of – deli sandwich shops back you know 25 30 years ago Just so mom, they mom and pop mom and pop shops. Yeah, yeah exactly and you heard it through someone else and then okay you, you go there there's no systems in place all that so i think they did a really good job of hitting the market at the right time they put systems in place and they drove that um, you know, with quality, as you guys know, uh, you're, you're going to pay for quality. There's just no doubt about it. What we do at Herber and Gerberts is that our soups are our own recipe. It, they're not coming from a can. Uh, our, our meats are all full muscle, so we're doing all the slicing of our cheese and our, our meats on premise. And obviously, that's quality. It, it's as simple as that. And we bake our own bread on a daily uh, basis. Every morning, we're baking our bread. And so, it, when a person walks into an ENG, you, first of all, you smell the bread being baked. It's like going into a bakery, and you feel that. And so there's always those touch points of the customer that says, you know what? I'm willing to pay 50 cents, a dollar more per sandwich because I know, first of all, I know the owner. He's part of the community. Second of all, that I can see them slicing the meat. I can see them baking you know, the bread. I can see how they take quality in the soups. So... I believe, and that's where the margin is in for our franchisees, is that we're not going to play the price game. Uh, we, we don't want to have someone making 300 sandwiches a day and, you know, selling them for, I guess, a quarter, <laughs> whatever you said, Eric. Sure. I, obviously, it's not that. But, you know, you can wear out your, your staff. You can wear out your managers. You can wear out your owners because the profitability is just not there. And the, the most important thing is that you're not service sir serving a good quality uh, sandwich that's going to last for that customer to keep on coming back. The biggest thing that I'm seeing like with Subway, and again, kudos to them, they have 50,000 units. It's all about convenience. Mm-hmm. So uh, a family driving down the highway and they, you know, they want to stop and they're not going to stop at a convenience store to get a, you know, pre-made sandwich. So they, they see a Subway nearby, they are going to go there because, to them, that's better quality than the, the convenience stores. So I think convenience uh, is a very, very big play for our market it's, itself. We have to be in a certain area with the traffic counts that are there. But once we get into a community and we start to market and we start to tell the brand history about who we are, what we're all about, 
I do want to touch on that because I think it's important for people if they're thinking about, you know, opening up their own restaurant or hospitality or even maybe, like you said, Eric, a, a law firm. You got to have a story that is backing up the brand that can live and it's true. It's true. You're not making it up, but that can flow throughout the whole entire marketing, the branding, and also to the product as well. So, yeah. So, um, and I think about um, a QSR that, that, you know, I'm a big fan of. All right. I don't represent them. Uh, I'd like to represent them. But uh, I went through on Wednesday of this week for a family of four. We're a family of six, but two of them are not on uh, Daddy's program anymore, right? They're 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 out on their own. We went through Chick Fil A, right? And a family yep. of four, it cost me fifty two dollars and thirty six cents, right? Yep. And nobody got anything outrageous. We just got meals, right? Uh, yep. Now think about that, right? I paid fifty two dollars for a family of four where I could go to McDonald's and pay $25, right? And I'm a fan of McDonald's, right? Quarter pounder with cheese. If you're not a fan of quarter pounder with Mm -hmm. cheese, there's something mentally wrong with you. Special sauce. Right, exactly, right? (laughs) But but I I can't say I was glad to pay it, but I typically pay it at Chick-fil-A because I feel that the quality is there, and I feel that the service is there, right? And again, um, I, there are people out there clearly, right? Because I was in a line of maybe a hundred cars to get through. There are people out there who are willing to pay more for the quality of products and services. There's no doubt, all right? But Eric, how do you change your marketing Um Versus Subway or McDonald's, where you can go through and feed a family of four for $25. How do you change your marketing or how do you find those people who are interested more in quality? And part of it, you've already said, you say, look, that's why we're popular on college campuses, because these kids are thinking about quality uh, and what they're putting in their body just versus you know, just make me not hungry anymore. But but that's a challenge, no doubt. How do you find those consumers and how do you change your marketing for that? Yeah, well, first of all, um, it really starts with us guys. I mean, it was interesting and I kind of want to rewind a little bit. <laughs> when we were talking about having problems with labor and finding people and just kids in general, 16, 17 year old kids just to make a sandwich and them not showing up, Part of the problem is us. (laughs) And what I mean by that is we have treated our kids um, and treated them well. I mean, I remember growing up and going out to get a a quarter pound of cheese with my my mom and dad was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Right now. I mean, I mean, right now, like you, Eric, and like my myself, we'll go out, spend $50 in a Chick-fil-A and not even think twice about it. That's right. We went out once a week. We went out once a week, and that was it. And McDonald's, going to KFC was a big deal. A big deal. Yeah, you got the bucket of chicken. Yeah. Man, this is a big, big deal. So for us, I mean, sad to say, we have kind of trained our younger, our, say my my sons and daughters, to, you know what, $50 Chick-fil-A, um, no big deal, guys. And, yeah. and so 
we're planting the seed in their mind when they have a family to say, we're going to Chick-fil-A, you know? And so, um, and then it goes back down to work because, Hey, you're, you're playing football and baseball and tennis or whatever. Uh, and you know what, you should go get a job. Well, you know, boy, it's, it's tough. We're training our younger generation to not work as hard as we used to work or have, the, the things that we just didn't have as growing up. And so we wanted to have that for our families. And, and I, I think that's all good, but also it could be a damaging thing because we're not teaching our younger people about a, a solid day work and working hard and, and then having that ability to do that, and teach it to their kids in, in general. So yeah. um, I just wanted to say that because we see that we're like wondering, why is it that this younger generation 17, 18 year old young men and women that just, you know what, I don't need to go get a job because mom and dad take care of everything for us. So I think um, sometimes it's our fault. <laughs> I just wanted to state that because that, that's a big, big thing uh, in our industry. We're just trying to find people that want to work yeah. in general. Yeah, sure. Um, going, going back to the quality and versus the price, you know, one thing that we're doing right now is that we're doing a lot of bundling within the, uh, the restaurant, especially with our combo meals and all that stuff. So when, when families are out there looking for it, we're trying to drive that value proposition for the family. And again, that might not cost $50, but it might cost $45. And that's hooking them to come into the restaurant and then do, do the repeating of that as well. And then from a branding aspect and marketing aspect, we have a loyalty program that is done extremely well. I think we have close to over 100,000 people on our loyalty program. Mm. And so what, when people are out there building, and Ricky, you know, and, and same with Eric, you guys in general, that is our, our communication channel to our loyal, loyal guests. And so we are using that platform, and everything is done on the phone now. So... It's not, you know, it's not in the papers anymore. It's not in magazines anymore. Cheaper, Everything is cheaper, driven on the... Cheaper advertising, the, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. and actually, Eric, you can track it. Yeah. So we can oh, track yeah. it. Right. Sure. And so th think about, you know, 25 years ago, a restaurateur looking at going, okay, I'm just going to put this in a paper. Right now, we can track and look at the clicks of where people are dropping off and where the people are going through, yep. and we can change that marketing to keep them online as long as possible. And then, obviously, we have the the data, and they have approved a, this for us to do, is that we now can communicate special deals. It could be a Tuesday afternoon special. So that's driving traffic and really communicating with uh, that guest. And then people that are on the loyalty program are typically people that are, you know, they, they want to know more about the, the brand and want to know about the quality. What are we doing differently out there versus what we did last year? So it really is, uh, from a technology standpoint, um, you have to drive the technology as, as fast and as hard as possible and have the best tech technology out there because that is the channel of how you're communicating with your guests. Yeah, this is this is exactly what we talked about with our last guest, a marketing expert, right? And mm -hmm. he talked about data, and he talked about using yep. data and really analyzing it. And um, you know, that's that's what it's all about. It's not about spend with respect to advertisement. We talked about white noise. We talked about mm -hmm. how many ads are out there. Uh, he talked about, you know, when he gives a presentation and he takes a snapshot 
of a baseball game and he asked the audience how many brands do you see and this is just a snapshot what was it ricky yeah. of a home run ball or something like that and there were eight, eight ads yeah there were eight brands identified in then, a still photograph of oh the my. outfielder trying to catch this ball right and yeah. and it cost a tremendous amount uh but his emphasis was on if you're not into data if you're not into these apps uh, and if you're not into analyzing data, then you're completely missing the boat on how advertising is going. Hey, Eric, yeah. do you believe that the, the way that like then I want you to expand on your loyalty program of how you do that? Because so many companies spend a ton of money attracting new customers, but never do anything to take care of their existing customers. And, and that's where they really drop the ball. So I'd like for you to expand on your um, loyalty program. But don't you also think the the apps and the cell phones and, and, and you know, like you're tracking the data now of your customers and your loyalty, that's the new guerrilla marketing. Absolutely. I mean, when I look, when I say uh, loyalty, that includes the app. And so we are watching, I mean, we, we can tell when John's birthday is and we'll say, John, it's your birthday coming up. You know, Hey, we'll have something special for you at the restaurant. I mean, it's just, it's tying it and also customizing it to that person that is absolutely vital for that. You know, it's funny that, and I've heard this before, you know, Domino's, uh, is a pizza, uh, obviously company, but really when you talk to the executives, they'll say that we're a technology company and we just by the way, sell pizza. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and um, it, because they have done such an outstanding job uh, with their technology, that has really driven their business um, to the nth degree. And then they have changed their quality as well. So again, uh, they have done it on both platforms and it has worked out tremendously for them. But our loyalty guys, everything that we print, everything that we're sending out on our website is all about join our loyalty, join our loyalty and that the rewards, I mean, you can, you know, it could be a free cookie. It could be a free sandwich. You know, you buy 10, you get nine, you know, whatever that might be. So there's a lot of different things that you can do from that standpoint. But you got to drive that loyalty because that is the, the, the channel, the communication channel to your loyal, loyal guests. And, Ricky, you mentioned about we can get as many customers in our restaurants. But if you're not keep if you're not keeping them by from an operational standpoint that everything is running smooth and the quality of the product, uh, you're dead in the water. But then once you do do that, then you tie them into the loyalty. That's the repeat visit that you're looking for, and that is worth millions of dollars to a company. I agree, and you know, Eric, like at my stores, we 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 have a loyalty program based on points, yep. and it's really neat to see people walk in and go, "How many points do I have?" And exactly. what, we've, what we've done is we never, their, their points never expire. So we always let them carry over and they yep. love that, love that. And they're like, it's like, what was it? Um, I can't remember the game show, but it was like, let it ride. Like yeah. you want to use your points? Yeah. No, let it ride. And, yeah. <laughs> and that, and then another thing too is like, and you know, this, like you said, give away a free cookie and whenever we give away a, a t-shirt at the store, you would think that you're giving that person a winning lottery ticket, a freaking t-shirt. Yep. Right. And that's yep. got my name on it. Right. And they absolutely yeah. love it. People love free stuff. I don't care if it's a cookie. 
I don't care if it's a t-shirt or a shaker cup, yeah. but that, that the loyalty things go so far. And you know, back when you're saying, if you can't embrace the customer that came through the door to keep them, you won't be in business very long. Yeah. That's a great no, point. Absolutely. And I think the next generation, and this is what we're working on at uh, Herbert and Gerbert. So we have a hundred thousand loyalty guests and Ricky, you probably know this is that, okay, we do give the t-shirts out and the free cookie or sandwich, whatever, but I want to even drive it even farther. So if I know that Eric Reese loves to uh, fish, for example, and Eric, I don't think you do, but just no. in, as an example, I but like if Eric keeps on coming, it, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but if Eric keeps on coming into the store and he re- is, uh, say he hits uh, 50,000 points, whatever, I know that Eric loves fishing. I would love that, tie that into sending him a gift card from Cabela's or saying, Hey, enjoy your next fishing trip with your scotch. And here's a, you know, $10 or $20 uh, gift card from Cabela's. You think Eric would open up that gift and say, wow, those guys really know me and they really care about me. And so I think there's that next generation of loyalty that you can really tie to your customers of what they like and what they do on their off days. And if you can do that, it again ties you more to the brand and to your customer. See, and this and this is something that we got into with our last episode. You know, it's um, number one. You can have tunnel vision about a lot of things. This is the way to do things. This is the way others are doing things. And then you keep, you know, and I hate to use this expression, peeling back the onion and the layers, mm-hmm. but. For example, it's not enough to say you need to analyze the data. You need to analyze the data on a consumer-by-consumer basis, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's out there, right? So, so Eric's example is, is not a bad one, right? That, that he can determine from products and services that are out there what this person's preferences are, right? And yep. he markets to those preferences, right? And it's, I mean, it's, it's eye-opening and it's also embarrassing. Every time we have somebody on, they're telling us they do things a particular way. And I'm sitting here going, my God, Eric, you're a dumbass because you've never even thought of these things in your own mm-hmm. business. But again, that's why we have the show. That's why we have various entrepreneurs on. But but that's fascinating to me that you can get down, not generally, you know, Ricky, we've talked about your uh, spend is, I think, an average of about 63 bucks, 60 to $65 in, in your store yep. with respect to a visitor. And that makes sense. When I go buy supplements, I spend about sixty bucks, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And um, and that's some data, right? But that's a generalized data, so you get you got to understand that because if someone's spending sixty two bucks, you want to figure out how they can spend sixty eight bucks, right? And how to drive that up. But it's that particular or unique per customer data that you really need to get into to really create loyalty because now I'm not a number. My God, this brand actually knows me. Yeah. Exactly. You you know, and something that we've done is, you know, yeah, they're spending $60 in my store, 
do we get them to 68 or do we get them to bring their friend in to ah, spend 60 bucks? Good. And that's mm-hmm. our ultimate goal. Sure. Is the whole Walt Disney. I want to create an experience so much, so, so spectacular that you're not only going to come here again, but you're going to bring your friends and family. Yeah. And that's our ultimate goal. And Eric, I think that's probably your guys' goal too at this, at the store level mm-hmm. with your flavors and, and your quality. That's what brings people back. Sure. Be better. Yeah. What yeah. Tim said uh, the other day, be better. You got to be better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, the the other thing is, you know, we get too caught up on price. And Eric and I have had this discussion. Um, <clears throat> and again, everybody uh, watching the podcast is going to go, my God, you're unhealthy. But I've been through Burger King lately. Right. Family of four. You know, the average price is eleven dollars and fifty cents through Burger King. All right. Mm-hmm. And so people think it's cheap other than McDonald's. And potentially Subway, right? It's five for five or whatever, but you really don't want the five that they're serving for $5, right? So it's, they're trying to guide you to something else. So other than McDonald's and how they do that, I assume is in part a great volume and McDonald's is a great system. No one can argue, argue uh, that, that the system is not down, right? They, they've figured it out. But other than McDonald's, where I can feed a family of four for 25 bucks, maybe certainly under 30, right? Burger King, a great example. It was $44 plus the other day, and we just all got the numbered meals, right? I got a double whopper, Nick got a double whopper, or whatever. These are average meals, right? And so we can't get too caught up in price, right? We can't chase shiny objects. And the shiny object is in part Subway um, in, in this particular industry. Well, and I will tell you, um, there used to be a, a brand that served great quality sandwiches. It was called Quiznos, right? 7,800 locations. I will pay any listener 100 bucks if they can go find a Quiznos within five miles of their house. They, you can't, all right? The system was destroyed, and it was destroyed in part because they were copying what Subway did. Subway came up with the five for five in part to take Quiznos out. What did Quiznos do? They came up with a little torpedo sandwiches. I don't know if people even remember Quiznos. I'm sure Eric does, but uh, Quiznos came up with the three for three or whatever, and they lost their minds completely because they had cats actually advertise it. That was their spokespeople, and the cats um, would sing the little Quizno song. Listen, if you're selling sandwiches and with meat in them, here's my suggestion, and everybody write this down. Don't use a kitty cat. Or right? any animal to pitch your meat. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> look at that kitty cat. I wonder if he's, oh, my God, I'm eating kitty cat, right? But um, Quiznos was, was out for the count anyway because of the corporate greed at the franchisor oh, level. That's what took them down. Yeah, no doubt. Their, their cost of food was skyrocketing because Quiznos was taking way too much in the, rebates. The cost of food was going up to the franchisees yeah. and the franchisee, and they were dictating a price. Yeah. To drive customers right. and the volume didn't offset all that. Yeah. And it took Quiznos down. Yeah. But it was unfortunate because it was a good product. No doubt about it. It was an amazing product. In 7,800 locations. That's, Best cat I ever ate. That's 
Right. Kitty cat can be a little tough, but that was good kitty cat. No doubt about it. Got to smoke it. Yeah. 7,800 locations. So, I mean, that's a big deal, right? And uh, so, so in any event, I mean, you know, we can't get too caught up on price because not everybody can be your customer. And I think really it comes down to that. I and Eric, you you especially in the in the service and food industry, you if you get caught up in once you get caught up in price, you don't come back from that. Yeah. No. No. Once you once you cross that line, you're in it forever. So. Yeah. Right. And, and now and, and well, you better make it up. Well, but we've talked about this. You in part, in large part, are responsible for setting your customers' expectations. And this is no matter what you sell, whether it's legal services or supplements or sandwiches or soup, you're going to set your consumer's expectations. And if you say, look, I'm the cheapest, then your consumers are expecting you to be the cheapest. And consumers are fickle for sure. And well, yeah. Eric, go back to Chick-fil-A. I yeah. mean, your experience. What I really love about Chick-fil-A, first of all, quality, but every touch point of that customer uh, sees the quality with their employees, with the drive throughs with in-store uh, signage and how speed of service is. And I have to give credit when they, they say, you know what, we're closed on Sunday. I mean, they've gotten a lot of uh, yeah. riff about that on college campuses, also in airports. I mean, who closes on you know on Sundays? Uh, and I give them a lot of credit sure. first of all because Principal. that's who they are, and they're believing, and they're really not just talking about who they are; they're actually having the action behind it. And uh, I think people, the general population, would say, you know what, they're closed on Sundays. I really would like Chick Fil A today, but you know what, I get it, understand it, and I respect them because they're holding their own on what they believe and what they're trying to do. Oh, you're dead on. And, you know, I've had stores in malls and malls are dictators with their leases. Yeah. And Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. amazing. And kudos, hats off to them. Well, you know, yeah. yeah, we went through the Chick-fil-A drive up the last time and I ordered. OK, like everybody orders. And then I drive up and there's a guy in a, a tent Right. There's a guy yeah. in a tent and um, he's going to take my credit card. Right. And, uh, you know, it was bizarre. It's like, good evening, sir. It's like, wait a yeah. second. I'm in a fast food place. Right. I yeah. expect him to have a top hat on or something. It's like, you know, yep. have a good day, sir. And it was like, man, is this an experience? Right. But I was yep. in and out of there at 30 seconds. But you're right. And you know what? You, you paid $52 and you look back and go, you know what? I'd do it again. Yeah. Uh, and I will do it again. Yeah. But like you said, Eric, the, touch, I know you the, will. the right. touch point from ordering to pick up to signage to the staff's attitude, their dress, yep. their appearance, it's all, it's all top shelf. Yeah, well, it is. Well, and maybe... Maybe. And again, you know, COVID's not going to tank McDonald's, who's definitely a low cost leader for sure. But maybe this COVID, as Eric said, is going to eliminate, you know, some of the marginal performers. And maybe what we're going for uh, in 2021 and beyond is you got to give me the value for what I'm paying for. And that wouldn't be a bad thing at all, for sure. No. And if you're a go ahead, Eric. 
No, I was just going to say, and one good positive thing about COVID is that I think the restaurant industry, hospitality, I mean, you can go into Delta as well. You are going to see more focus in on cleanliness, uh, customer service. And so I think this is going to carry over for a long period of time. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I also think with COVID, you are now going to be looking at uh, different types of models. For example, with ENG, we're looking at a 750 square foot, uh, I would say a smaller unit that's going to have a drive-through window, a pickup window, a little bit of seating outside, but that's it. So the model in COVID has pivoted on our real our real estate selection, yep. but also how we build stores because we are focused in on what do the customers really want? And what they really want is that quality product, but also the convenience. Because again, guys, for us at least, we're not a sit down type of scenario. I mean, we still do that, but I mean, we're it's, it's all about convenience for yeah. that guest because again, COVID has changed the customer's viewpoint of how do I get my products and services uh, quick, fast, and safe. And um, that's going to be changing, and we're seeing that already. Yeah, I mean, commercial real estate. What's your outlook for commercial real estate, Eric? I mean, it's, it's, my gosh. I mean, and and again, understand that landlords – Again, when everything was flying high before uh, the governmental shutdowns, Mm -hmm. uh, landlords could be kind of jerks, right? I've negotiated well over a thousand leases and it's like, uh, you know, I I, my landlords were not my favorite. Right. But in the end, landlords are entrepreneurs just like us. Right. They took a risk and they borrowed a lot of money. But man, I mean, just to imagine how commercial real estate is going to change. I talked to someone the other day. It's like, oh, no, no. Commercial real estate will be fine. Everybody's going to go back to their offices. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you this, all right? And Eric just said it. Eric just said it. They're looking at models to reduce their real estate by half, all right? By half, all right? And if you're in any business and you've gone through 2020 where your workforce has worked from home and you haven't figured out a way to reduce your real estate, then I don't even know how you've survived in business because you're just Mm -hmm. dumb, right? I tell my kids don't use that word, but this is appropriate, right? You're dumb. And so Eric has clearly pivoted uh, on this and I think that's the right pivot, but my gosh, commercial real estate, Man, is it, I think there's just going to be so many millions of square feet that are just empty. Well, again, it's funny when we were driving down, going through Atlanta and all these, I mean, it's amazing. And some, again, we have stores that are in world headquarters and Mm -hmm. what we're finding right now, and you're talking Uh about four or 5,000 people on these campuses right now, they're telling right now they're empty and they're not telling us, they're telling us right now that. Um, they're not going to be 75% till the fall. September, yeah, year. September. That's what I hear. Centene, Centene here. Yeah. I mean, thousands yeah. and thousands of employees, they're not coming yeah. back until September. That The corporate, the corporates made that statement. They're not coming back till the fall. Yeah, and, you know, you think about it, guys. If you had a person that was working in a cubicle uh, at a uh, headquarters, and now that individual is now home, 
and is being uh, productive and has not seen any lack whatsoever in workflow and all that stuff. And they have the ability to have lunch in their own kitchen and uh, walk the dog during lunch and then come back. I'm telling you what, this, this has pivoted on how people are going to be working uh, from home sure. versus uh, satellite offices, whatever it might be. But yeah, I believe it has changed and it will change. And um, you just got to figure out how that is going to help, help your brand. You know, one of the things too, Eric, if you have, you know, your listeners and with TI dollars and all stuff with our real estate, a lot of our franchisees are going back to their landlord in locking up new leases yep. and asking for TI dollars, which the landlords are happy because the landlords know, boy, coming fall or right now, we don't know if people are coming back or not. And they are a little bit scared of yeah. saying how many people are going to be in my strip mall area, how many people are going to make it. And so for your listeners, this is one great time to get in touch with your attorneys or whoever that might be that yep. will be helping you with negotiation on your leases because you should be doing it because the landlords now are willing. Yeah. And see, that's so, you know, Look, I started my law firm March 16th, right? Uh, Ricky started his franchisor, uh, his franchise operations in September, I think, of 2020, 2020, right? And so, um, again, so we talk about COVID and we talk about governmental shutdowns, not to be negative, but to be positive in the sense that how you need to pivot, and I know people yeah. are tired of that word. We use it a lot, but how to pivot and how to operate smart, right? How to operate more yeah. efficiently uh, in what we're going to call the new economy. And we, we really do think it's the new economy. Well, we don't think it. We know it, it right? Uh, we talked about this last time. Uh, the consumers are used to working at home. They're used to wearing masks. They're used to going through government centers where army uh, personnel direct mm-hmm. them to have their arm shot by a complete stranger with life-changing drugs. This is not a political statement. This is happening all across the country. And so consumers are changing uh, their ways, right, that they live and they work and how they get their food and how they have their essentials or mm-hmm. necessities met. And, and you need to change. But to Eric's point, this is exactly what our marketing experts said in our last episode. There is never been a better time to yeah. focus on starting a new business. You just got to start it with a different approach. And when we talk to companies like Herbert and Gerbert that are saying, yeah, we've already figured this out. As I said, we done did pivoted. One of the reasons I started my own firm, and again, uh, you know, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but look, hourly rates at 550, 600, 750 an hour, that's not going to work in the new economy, right? People are going to say that's too much and they're right, right? So I dropped my rates nearly by 50%, certainly by 40% because the pivot has to be done now. And that's why, you know, I say I done did pivoted. Uh, That should be my trade slogan, although that sounds a little stupid, but you got to pivot now to prepare yourself to be prosperous in the future. Yeah, but you were also yeah. able to drop your rate because you removed a lot of noise. But but again, that's that's you know, Eric says, look, 
he's examined his system and he's identified, let's call them inefficiencies, stuff that they don't need Mm -hmm. to produce the same quality product and the same volume, right? And that's a good thing, right? That's something that is positive that came from these government shutdowns. Learn your efficiencies. For me, it was get rid of many offices that were losing millions of dollars. Get rid of, you know, political correctness training every week for everybody in the organization. My clients don't need that. My clients don't want that, right? And so ultimately, Eric's saying the same thing. I'm getting rid of essentially half in, in some cases of my square footage, learning to operate more efficiently now. But for the government shutdowns, Eric might not have ever have done that. But he could have done it, right? But he wasn't forced to do it. You weren't forced to think outside the box, right, Eric? Yeah. No, absolutely. And Eric, again, the uh, perfect scenario, we are seeing more growth than we've seen in really three years. That's I awesome. have right now on the, on the books uh, – 15 new stores that are going to be Huge. built in 2021. Huge. And so I think people in smart, and I, and I agree with you, this is actually a great time to build uh, a business because first of all, landlords are willing to work with you. Yes. Second of all, we're telling our franchisees, if your lease is even close, start negotiating that lease or yes. move your store yes. to an A plus location that maybe you had an A and you want to just upgrade it to a drive through setting. I mean, there is so much potential out there right now, and but people that are smart are looking at this opportunity to say, this is the time to jump in because for restaurants, sad to say that 110,000 have closed, well, now that is less competition. Yeah, so, and there's 110,000 turnkey restaurants ready for you to move into and kick ass. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So um, so it, it is sad. It's really sad of what uh, has happened and all stuff. But, again, there is some silver lining in here that made people pivot. And you, you brought it up, Eric, that, you know, we're building these small units right now. And to be quite honest with you, they're more efficient, less cost for us to build out, and actually we're seeing uh, increasing in sales because now yep. we, it's the drive-through, it's the pickup when it's, it's so efficient. And so we're seeing that uh, work out very well and for And people us. are trained, right? People are more trained uh, yep. to yep. accept their food that way, right? I mean, that's how they Absolutely. want it. It want They want these different delivery models, and, and that's a good thing. So, well, And also, I don't know about you guys, but, I mean, as we drove down here, uh, you know, we went through some McDonald's and their lobbies are shut down. It's all yeah. a drive through. Yeah, that's so right. So now their model has changed. I yeah. mean, from that standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me eventually to see models that really maybe have a double kitchen, right? That have expanded oh, yeah. their kitchen space. They have o- almost no seating space, right? But it's all about driving the volume, you know, not a not a two lane drive through, but a three or four lane drive through, where you've got drive through on both sides, 
you yep. know, and, um, yep. y- you know, there, there were those models many moons ago that were that were strictly drive through and they were always a little marginal. OK, and and uh, well, rallies. Remember yeah. rallies? Yeah. And, and they're still around. Uh, but they were strictly drive through. Now, those guys are kind of looking like geni- <laughs> geniuses because well, that that may be the direction we're going. Yeah, and another thing, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this uh, with McDonald's, but one of the things that, uh, again, pivoting on the COVID-19 is that menus, uh, especially for our menu, is that we have reduced our menu. And you go through, uh, people in brands have gotten rid of the clutter and focused in on what they do best, and that is driving efficiency, profitability, I mean, again, you go back to the uh, brands that have already figured this out, In-N-Out Burger, yeah. uh, Canes. I mean, very simple menus, but they do a great, great it's, job, and their volumes are very this. high. I mean, this is amazing, yeah. right, that consumers – I mean, this to me, this is fascinating, right? Consumers' expectations have changed, right? Mm-hmm. And now you've got an opportunity to take advantage of it, right? I mean, there there was a time when you would go into a restaurant and it'd be like, you know, which volume in the menu would you like, right? <laughs> volume one, volume two, volume three. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can't even choose one thing because everything <laughs> is just, right, there's a hundred items. And, and this is also a real opportunity for all sorts of service and product providers. Well, yeah. So, Absolutely. like, when I went to Mexico in January, everything was on a QR code. Yes. So, you just sat down yep. and you hit the QR code. Correct. So, then um, I went to Buffalo Wild Wings a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I sat down and they had a QR code. They had already put up the QR code and the girl handed me the menu and I'm like. Right. Like, What's this? I, I felt offended. Like, yeah. I don't need a menu. I know right. how to read a QR code. Exactly. So, but, it, but, 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 but just think about that, Ricky. Just that little change. Now to that restaurateur, he doesn't have to invest in menus anymore, yeah, print, paper menus right. or anything. I mean, it's so small, sure. but if you're going through a million of those a year, yeah. that's a big number for that. Of course. Massive. So yeah. if you, let, let, let's use Buffalo Wild Wings. How many, I don't know how many units nationwide, but now you get rid of 500 menus per store. Yeah. And then when you make a change to your menu, it's all digital. Oh, yeah. And now so you're, cheap. now, th- now that's all going to lead to tracking. Yeah. Oh yeah, that it all yep. feeds back into the data. Yep. Yeah, yep. for sure. Exactly. Yeah. It's so an again, exciting sad time. that we had to go through it, but there was some silver linings in it, and it will continue to move the brand well, brand forward. If you if you go through something like this and don't grow, man, I'm sorry. Yeah. You, you it, I I feel bad for anybody that lost their business, but step your game up and come back more hungry yeah. and better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, Rick, I agree with you because a lot of those people that have lost it were independents that just didn't have a marketing department or anything to, I mean, those people were virtually on their Island by themselves. And it is, yep. and we all know people in our local communities that had great brands and great, uh, uh, restaurants. And that is a sad thing. And, um, but, you know, hopefully they, they made it through it. And I think some of the communities really did step up and try to help those uh, those independents by, you know, uh, pick up orders or curbside or whatever it might be. But it, it, it was hell for everyone from that standpoint. Yep. So. so 2021 is going to be a good year for you. I mean, colleges it are is. coming back. And, and yep. yeah, that's awesome because uh, 
Look, it's it's uh, it's very difficult, and and we've all talked about this. Uh, Ricky and and Eric and I have talked about this. Uh, it's hard to make money, and you know it's it's not easy. It, it people that have made money sometimes make it look easy, right? Because we see them on their boat, or we see them in Eric's uh, case in his house in Florida, or we see them, you know, whatever. A nice restaurant. And, and it looks easy, right? But they don't understand how difficult it is, right? And, um, and it's not going to get easier as we go forward. And so when I see people that have put in the time, put in the effort, and put in the money, as Eric has with Herbert and Gerbert, uh, to, to have a potential for a big ass year that that's a big deal ricky your stores are, are way up as well yep. in revenue so i i think 2021 economically is going to be a is going to be a a real boon year for a lot of a lot of businesses it is and i yep. think if you're hungry yeah you better wake up starving yeah Go yeah get it. yeah for sure so eric so um uh we we always try to do some shameless plugs uh, AspenLawTeam.com. But um, we are. <laughs> so if, if people, if people want to learn more about AspenLawTeam.com, no, if people want to learn more about Herbert and Gerbert, uh, yeah. how, how do they find you on the web? Well, actually, just go www.HerbertAndGerberts with an S.com. And then um, I would, if anyone is listening and they're interested in franchise sales or whatever, I'll just give you my number and you can call me, uh, 715-271-4177. I have no problem uh, taking calls because uh, we do want to partner up with people in these communities that we want to be in. And uh, we are growing. There's no doubt about it. So yeah, and, 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 to talk to yeah and give your give your cell phone w- one more time, a little bit more uh, slowly. And and guys, uh, just for anybody listening in, uh, you know, I don't bring uh, and Ricky doesn't bring people on this show because uh, they're friends, uh, and and that's the reason. And we're going to shamelessly plug their products and their businesses. We bring them on because. Uh, we respect their opinion. This has been just another great podcast. We've just uncovered. We always have a rough beginning in, in part because Ricky and I don't drink enough before we start the podcast. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, this sorts of in, this sort of information uh, is just extremely valuable to to any entrepreneur. But I will say this about Herbert and Gerbert. Um, I would not be friends just as I am with you, Ricky. I would not be friends with Eric, nor would I represent him if I believed he didn't have the morals, the business morals necessary uh, to be worthy of partnering with. And that is you got to make money, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Okay. Franchisee, before I make money. I got to make you happy first. And, and that's, that's franchising done right for sure. So Eric, if you don't mind, give your cell phone one more time slowly. And then, uh, and then I guess we'll sign off with, with one other thing. Uh, our next guest is a guy who graduated high school with me. Don't roll your eyes. Another friend of mine. Why do I, why do I only have friends that make more money than me? It's ridiculous. Uh, the group that I am associating with, but uh, this guy is named Brett Roche. Uh, I went to college and he bought a trailer. 
and as we talked about last episode, we're going to play a little game. Who makes more money, the guy who went to college or the guy who bought the trailer? It's it's real <laughs> easy, folks. It's the guy who bought the trailer, uh, and uh, and that's going to be fascinating as well. But Eric, give your cell phone cell phone uh, one more time and your URL, and then we'll sign off. Yeah, it's seven one five two seven one four one seven seven, and it's www herbert and gerberts with an s dot com all right eric well listen this has been uh, another great show your information was fantastic and uh, have fun down in florida hey you too guys thanks so much and uh, great great show thank you okay guys all right bye-bye